As the sound of the playgrounds faded, the despair set in. Very odd what happens in a world without children's voices. I was there at the end. Now you're going to be there at the beginning. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm Bartek. Bartek, what are you so giddy about? I don't know. We, we Just before we did the Hello, listening people, we talked about Jim Broadbent. For some reason, I can't stop smiling. Jim Broadbent <laughs> does give you a smiling reaction. We did watch a British movie this episode that did not feature Jim Broadbent. That's are true. we in the real world? I don't think so. No, it must be fake. Cancel this show right now well it wasn't directed by a brit was it no so that that answers that then uh but he's directed british films so we're spitting polish likingly because we're spitting and we both happen to be polish hence we're in the top 10 polish podcast motherfucker yeah polish people don't really like british people but jim broadbent man i mean they like going to britain and stealing their jobs they have a habit of going to britain i mean they like they like (laughs) doing it a lot Maybe. Maybe? I don't know. You'll have to ask your Polish relatives who go to England all the time well, and just li- steal jobs. Well, they lived in Australia for a while, so that was a bit different. That's like England. Yeah. We have similar accents. Got the, we have the onion jack on our flag. So, we're doing a show, Pictures Powwow, mm-hmm. obviously. Yes. Our weekly show, where we talk about a movie that's come recommended. I kind of hinted we're doing a movie that at least involves British people. Yes, but not the director. But not the director or Julianne Moore. <laughs> She's the only American in the trivia, it says. Mm-hmm. Bartek, the film came recommended from the listening people, specifically from your friend Amanda, yeah. who I've never met. Yeah. And I don't think she exists, because yeah. I've met I mean, no. your friends, and they're all, like, guys. And they're, they're all like guys. They're all like guys. I can't speak about Malloy. He has very feminine, feminine hips. Mm. But... You have a friend, Amanda, who I don't think exists. I think it's an alias. Mm. Well, her last, I, name, I think her last I, name is Not, so it's like not existence. But it's not spelled with a K, so it's like, yeah. a, like a noose. Well, but a double T. Ooh, a naval noose. This, is, this doesn't count as doxing, does it? I didn't, I didn't bring it up. You did. <laughs> I know. So your friend Amanda suggested for us to do Children of Men. Yes. The 2006 film, mm-hmm. Children of Men, directed by everyone's favorite director... Alfonso Cuaron, Cuaron. Uh, who did Roma and Gravity and a few other Prisoner little films. <laughs> the one that made me want to stop watching Harry Potter movies because it was so fucking yellow. When it, uh, whenever... What a great... And everyone's like, that's the best directed one. Bitch, it's piss yellow throughout the whole movie. I don't know why he did that. I don't Can know. someone explain to me why he made the whole film fucking piss-tinged yellow instead saying... of, like, nice colours? You've been saying this for years. Whenever I look at, like, screenshots from it, I don't see the yellow. Oh, yeah. I, I even watched the, like, a scene from it last night just to make sure. Oh, oh so you're, you're, you're doxing me now. <laughs> Ryan's address is this, his birth date is this, and he's pin... He lives across from Deakin University. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe it's one of the other ones. I swear in my brain, I remember that film being yellow. I always Just remember a tinge it being of yellow. I always remember it being like kind of bluish tinted or like dark tinted. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Bartek, Children of Men. We're going to be talking about this in depth. Spoilers and all. So Babies that's your warning. That's my warning. That's yeah. you, the listening people's warning. It's my fault for not watching the film beforehand. Now I'm going to spoil it. What's your relationship with this movie and your thoughts? 
Uh, before I watched it, I thought I had no history, and I I haven't seen it, but when I was in university, and I've talked about this class a few times with you, one of the first classes I ever had with our friend Will, uh, we did a class called, like, Narrative Criticism and Context, where, like, mm. every week they picked a film and then we talked about, like, something from it. Mm. And I think I only ever watched, like, two of the films from this class, but I remember they showed us the beginning of all the films, and I remember they showed us the beginning of this film, Children of Men, and I always thought to myself, like, oh, that's an interesting premise. I should check that out one day. Um, but I always forgot the title. Like, I always yeah, had the yeah. title in my head, but I didn't remember what that film was. So when this film started with the scene of, like, you know, the news report talking mm. about, like, the youngest person has died, I'm like, oh, this is that film. I'm yep. sort of fulfilling, like, a... Like, a prophecy. A prophecy. You're like the a, chosen one, like Harry Potter. Yeah, like Harry Potter. Like Harry Potter. Um, like Harry Potter, you know, Harry Potter, you know, trans yeah. women are women. Take that, JK. I yes. took a real big stance, motherfucker. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't the chosen one in Prisoner of Azkaban, though. He was just the boy who Which lived. movie is it in the Harry Potter series where he makes a joke about, like, but I'm the chosen one, and then Hermione hits him over uh, the head? That was in the trailer for Half-Blood Prince, I remember But that. it wasn't in the movie? No, it wasn't the film, uh, but I remember because the trailer was first impression, I'm like, oh. So, you've seen it now? I've seen it now. In its entirety. Yeah. Um, your only history with it is that, that, that film class. Have you not heard about it throughout the years? Because this is one of those movies where, to give a little bit of my history, I've seen it before, but throughout all the years, this has always been brought up as, oh, Children of Men. I mean, that film. Like, it has a gravitas, a weight to it. Yeah. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe just in, like, the vaguest terms, like what you just said, like, oh, Children of Men, that's a film, but, like, not anything specific about it. That film. So, like, it, it has the one-take shots in it a lot. <sighs> yeah, so this is... So when I started watching, I'm like, oh, this is the film big enough that I was talking about in that one class where I watched Rumblefish and Ryan's favourite film. Which is? Dare I say it. Yes. Well, M- Moulin Rouge. Fucking Moulin Rouge <laughs> sucks so much. It's I had to study in high school, so I'm glad it got to transfer over to university. <laughs> <laughs> but what were your thoughts on it on your first watch? Uh, you know, I, I liked it. I'm not crazy about it, but I had a decent time with it. I thought it was very interesting. Why aren't you crazy about it? Because I'm sane. But seriously, what about this movie is holding you back from 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 love? You just seem kind of like, I liked it. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm hoping that through doing this episode, I can I can learn more about myself. But um, we're always hoping that, always hoping more stories about Bartek. Like that time we all learned that Bartek's dad has so many toilets, and you thought, hey, that's normal. <laughs> it's not that I thought it was normal, but it's just something I hadn't thought too much about maybe because i had like the logic of how who uses each toilet and (laughs) i don't know but i did think that the fact that one of them had a urinal was weird (laughs) it wasn't a sink it was a urinal just to make sure it wasn't a bidet um my history with this film is i have seen it probably three times now Mm. i did not see it when it came out. I saw it a little while after. This is, like I said, a film with a bit of a weight behind it. But when I watched it, I didn't know about this, you know, this great esteem for it. This has a pretty mm. high rating. When people talk about it, there's a very serious, oh, and children of men. I mean, like it's it's like it feels like when it's brought up, it's brought up in the same kind of earnest seriousness of, oh, God, good fellas. 
oh mm. you know like like you know when people just say the title and they're just like that oh you know that it's good because just the inflection it, it teaches us so much about real life or something like that yeah yeah just the, just the way that they people even say the title it just goes like oh well you know we know that it's a good film because they just said the title like oh boy that that film what a great film i have always been meh on the film i, remember I don't like it week. i don't hate it it's fine. I have no strong opinions. I'm the neutral people from Futurama. My gut feeling says maybe. Tell my wife I said hello. This film is fine. I enjoy it enough. The acting's great. The cinematography is wonderful, although sometimes a little bit too shaky in scenes I don't think needs it, but uh, yeah. overall pretty great. The desaturation of colour actually matches. I've often complained on, on the podcast before and off the podcast about how I'm so tired of so many properties having this really drained sense of colour, all these murky browns and yellows and, mm. and blues and whatnot. That's why I don't like the DC films, for instance. When Or Prisoner of Azkaban. Or Prisoner of Azkaban. And there's this desaturation to things that shouldn't be. But this, it works. I like it. It appropriately is used... And when colours like that woman's red coat, it makes them stand out. It's really well done. The, the, the colour of the movie, or the lack thereof, is actually beneficial. I've complained about that before, but this is one where I praise it for that. Because it, it, it help amplifies and gives more nuance to the oppressive world and the tone of the movie. Although the movie has jokes in it, which was weird to me there was just so many moments where they would just have like random jokes and it was like sometimes with michael kane say it was there for levity's sake but then there would just be moments where they just chuck in a gag and i'm like are we still in children of men it was very <laughs> weird like clive owen's character every now and then would be like a smart ass but for the most part, I would thought I thought of him not that way. But every now and then, he would chuck in a smart-ass quip. And I was like, what? But overall, the film has always left me... Eh. Mm. Just eh. And the other times, I've never watched it in the term that we're watching it, which is an analytical way. I've been watching it just as I've, I'm watching a film. The first time I watched it, there was no baggage of, all oh, this great film, Children of Men. and Yeah, you're not like, you. well, this has to impress me. This has to impress me, or, or I've got expectations. I'm just like, oh, th this seems like an interesting film. I like my sci-fi. This is a sci-fi world, after all. Mm -hmm. uh, and upon this watch, I've pinpointed some issues that make me feel meh and or feel like I don't like the film. I still think at the end of the day, even upon this watching, I would rate this like a 5 out of 10. Mm. Because I just feel so middle about it. Like, there's nothing that really wows me. There's nothing that really offends me either, though. It's just kind of here to be a film. And I know that's sacrilege to many people. They're like, how dare you? You defend Big Fat Liar over Children of Men? Yeah. Because no one else is defending Big Fat Liar, but everyone's praising Children of Men. I've rarely met a person who doesn't like Children of Men. Mm. Um, You're the biggest hater. I guess so. <laughs> Here I am. Uh, have you seen the filmmaker's other works? Uh, I've only seen this, Gravity, and Prisoner of Azkaban. And I didn't even know he directed those two films until I finished watching this. Yeah, I've seen a few. I've seen this, Gravity... Uh, 
Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, Roma. Uh, he's a good filmmaker, man. Like, I don't always enjoy his films. Like, I, oh, I've only liked Roma, evidently. That's, like, the only one that I felt, like, compelled by. Yeah, that's a film I never want... That's a film that I will be fine never watching again. There are yeah, some one films... One and done. One and done. Like, I got my experience. Maybe one day, if it's just on, but I'm never going to seek out Roma again. It was one that I, I was happy I saw, but I'm never going to seek it out. Maybe if it comes to me, but... I guess by that logic, I'm not a fan of his work because, like, three of the films I either don't like or I feel meh on. This is when I feel meh on. Prince of Azkaban, I I just don't know. I just never did it for me as a kid. Mm. And maybe as an adult, it would do it for me. But there's that baggage. And Gravity, I think, from a technical point, it's good. But, I mean, Sandra Bullock goes, woof, woof, in the movie. And that was amazing. I've seen that film, but I don't remember too much about it. Other than it's mostly a one-woman show. You don't remember? Ruff, ruff. No, I really don't. Wow, you need to watch it again, buddy. <laughs> Evidently, in yeah. IMAX, you could see the ruff, ruff on yes. IMAX. Maybe for me, Alfonso Caron is a not one and done. Just rewatch everything. You know, what my favorite part about Alfonso's work is mm. is when uh, um, I'm forgetting that actor's name off the top of my head. The one from uh, No Country for Old Men. The the guy who plays Anton Sugar when he announced like at the, I haven't seen it but was it Javier Bardem? Javier Bardem when yeah. he announced at the Oscars that Roma won that's my favourite thing because he goes full like oh yeah doesn't he like the goal Roma it's almost to... as good as Sam Jackson announcing that Spike Lee won for like <laughs> best of day <laughs> he's like ha <laughs> He like bites his fist like That's a cartoon. What I was gonna say was when I think of Alfonso Caron, I think of when um he won Best Director and what's his name Guillermo del Toro was like, oh, this name I can say. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very <laughs> funny. Um, what about the film worked for you? Uh I really. I mean, this is probably the most common opinion, but I really like the last one take shot. The the long one. It's wi- really interesting, yeah, because most of the time when I think of Children Men, the one take shot that gets brought up a lot or broken down a lot weirdly is the car one, which is like the least interesting one. The one where Julianne Moore dies. It was good. I wouldn't call it boring, but I definitely not as good as the last Le- one. Least interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not the out of the one takers. It's like the less le- but that's the first one. It builds it builds up. Like each one. Each, because there's like three, right? Yeah, I'm forgetting the other the one. The one where she gives birth. Oh, of course, yes. And they're walking through and they're mm. on the bus or whatever. That one's good. But like, they're each building up. Yeah, the last one. What about it was very effective for you? Uh, well, for one thing, yeah, the length of it. It was like seven and a half minutes, so that was impressive. Um, and just, just thinking about how much work went into it and the part at the end, I don't remember if this was actually after a cut or something. Well, he was but... building up the one takes for Birdman, which I also have seen. I'm pretty sure he did Birdman. The f- did he do Birdman? Or am I thinking of I don't director? think he did because I looked at his filmography and I would have noticed. Is that another? Did, but... That's another. That's a guy who did Revenant. Sorry, people. Yeah. I got my one take directors mixed up. Soz. Yeah. Well, soz, there, there was soz. a whole. Did he do Rope by Alfred Hitchcock? <laughs> <I guess. laughs> There was a thing mentioning that, like, he, up until, I think, Children of Men, he was, like, practicing one takes. So, yeah, so yeah. the length of it, the, the the way the camera kind of fluidly moves throughout the, the confined... I think that's yeah. what... I think it picked up for me more when it was once he was in the building. Mm. The confined space, the logistics of all that was, to me, far more interesting than, like, when he's out in the streets yeah, and, and he's kind of ducking and dodging and that, which is still impressive. Mm. 
but I thought once they got into the complex and there's like bigger stakes because there's bullets coming through, like all the bullets are definitely lot, lot more going actors there. Actors in a confined space, yeah. And Antagonists I, yeah. in there that actually want a lot to of, hurt him. Yeah, a lot of story development too. Um, and I don't remember if this was after a cut or not, but like when he's going down with the girl and the baby and like everyone's just like cease firing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just the baby crying and like I felt, I felt like that was like the poignant moment of the film. It was definitely the 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 Jesus moment of the movie. Yeah. It felt very I mean although there was the moment where she revealed the baby earlier to I'm forgetting his name, the evil man who said his <laughs> Sid? name Sid. Yeah. And they looked like the three wise men standing over Mary, especially Sid with his little <laughs> Right. A lot of Jesus imagery in this movie. It was it was yeah. it was there. I Liked also in that one take shot at the end. I liked that the is she a Russian lady? Oh, she's Romanian, but she's got a Slavic name for some reason. Okay, I got I got a little confused because we hang out with I think her parents right, and they have like pictures of Lenin and shit in their room. Oh, is that when she's like, I'm gonna call her bazooka? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if they were her parents or not. I just, I'm, I'm just projecting that she goes to these old people who yeah. have like lots of Soviet stuff, and I was like, Russians, right? Mm. But when she disappears halfway through, and then at the end when they come back, and she's still in that spot, and yeah. then she's like, hey, and I'm like, oh, good, good, because I kind of forgot about what happened to her. Yeah, I remembered she was in that spot, and then we didn't see her again. But yeah, she just remained. She just stayed in the there. exact same spot we last saw her, and at. then was lucky that he came back, and she was like, come on. Come on, on through, buddy. He's like, hey, I was in this shot, and I'm still in it. It does also a good job of showing us that he clearly got shot in the stomach by the bad guy without also being so obvious about it. So that at the end, when he the blood's there, and like that, we, the audience, have kind of forgotten enough mm. that he had gotten shot. Because in, in another movie, especially in one take, it would have been such a bigger deal than it was. But it wasn't the key focus yeah. of that Part- scene. Although it is the big piece of information from that one take scene is he gets shot, which eventually leads to his death yeah part of me thought that it was from i think just before the one shot where he stepped on a thing after they killed sid because like he made a big deal of like he was walking and oh that was his foot no no he got shot in the stomach by this that was yeah by aldous was it aldous hodge i can't remember the actor's name if it's that guy but the 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 black guy the guy who's like we need him wasn't that what's his name eg of Oh, is it EG4? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember that. I get... it, it was right. It was right before he said it's a girl, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah, We yeah, need yeah. him. It's a girl. Yeah, yeah. He got shot, and then yeah, it was good though. The the thing was, because that whole scene was very nonchalant in what was happening. Like the dreadlock guy, the guy that we hate the most, just gets casually killed in the like in the background, mm. and you know that guy gets exploded once he lay leave. It's just very matter of fact, nonchalant. Like. There's all these people in the very come-to-Jesus moment where they're all, like, clawing at the baby and they're all, like, crying and worshipping, basically. Yeah. And they're just all getting shot, basically, while they're walking through. So so there's our two heroes with the baby walking through what is basically a meat shield because there's so many of them that are getting shot because they're all just standing there doing nothing while the military outside are still shooting through. Yeah, and as they're going down, the, the villains even are just like, well, this is a big deal. I enjoyed the matter-of-fact nature of the film throughout. Just very matter-of-fact. People just die. You just have to take it and move on. Like, when Julianne Moore dies at the very beginning, it's shocking because they've established her. She's also a well-known actress. We all know yeah. Julianne Moore from something. 
whether you do or not, Bartek, I'm not too sure, but we've all seen Julianne Moore at some point because she's in everything. Mm. And she's a, one of those actresses that even if you don't know if you've seen her before, you look at her and go, oh, well, she's going to... I'm sure I've seen her in something. She's yeah. important mm. because she just has that demeanor she, about she's, her. She's the only American in the film. And then she dies and it... You know, he has a little cry about it, but you got to move on, dude. Yeah. Got to move on, and you just got to push through. And that's the movie. The movie begins with an explosion mm. at a cafe he walked out of, and it's just kind of like, oh well, just keep going on with the day, really. Yeah. M- most of most of if any research I did about this film was afterwards, and just pretty much on Wikipedia, and I was talking about like the themes and the sort of style that the film was shot in. And you know, reading those stuff are what make me say that this is a film that I'd want to rewatch one day. Because one of the points was that it was shot in like a documentary style, and like, and I guess, yeah, and I guess that's kind of what you're alluding to when you're saying that, like, you know, things just happen. Yeah. So it's very matter of fact. It's something that I just was not considering at all when I was watching it. So I'd want to, I want to check it out again just to like actually see that that purpose. What did you think of Michael Caine? Michael Caine. And are you a fan of Michael Caine as an actor? I think we kind of touched upon this in The Dark Knight Rises, but what do you think of Michael Caine in this and as an actor? I think whenever he turns up, like, I think, you know, this is a good, it's good that I'm seeing a bit more Michael Caine, but it's not like someone I'd immediately pick out as like, oh, whenever he's around, he's great. It's just like, when you're given, when I'm given him, I think I'm going to enjoy him. So clearly you've never seen The Italian Job then. I haven't. He's so or Harry Brown. Oh, he's no, but I've seen Goldmember. I mentioned that last week. He was great. And what perfect casting, <laughs> huh? Other than they should have, they, if they couldn't have, I mean, David Niven was already dead, but Michael Caine's a good choice too. Like I could see a David Niven playing his Austin Powers like dad or grandfather or whatever. But like Michael Caine, but I like Michael Caine when he tries. And he felt like he was trying in this one. He was being fun, but he wasn't being cartoonish and over the top. He could have been a, a really grating character. He could have been a really cartoonish, mm. gurning... Yeah, he was a cartoonist. <laughs> but he felt dialed back enough. He didn't feel like he detracted. When he was doing jokes and the pull my finger and all of that, it didn't feel like it was tonally dissonant like it was when Clive... Clive Owen would make random gags throughout the like through the drama. When Michael Caine did it, I was like, okay, you know, they've set him up and he's playing it in enough of a cartoony manner, but also enough of a human ma- manner that I buy it. Mm. I just go, yes. Michael Caine frustrates me because he's a charming guy. He's a great actor, but he phones it in a lot. You know, he phones in his performances a lot. He just does, I'm Michael Caine, and that's enough. I'm 50-50 on how I feel about him as Alfred in those Dark Knight movies we talked about, and I'm 50-50 on him in Christopher Nolan movies in general. Like, I love The Prestige, but I still don't know how I feel about Michael Caine's performance in it, because he's doing a very Michael Caine, like, it's that prestige, you know, like, it. but then I love him in stuff like The Italian Job, and at his height, and even Austin Powers, because just the the beauty of that casting alone, (laughs) and he's playing it up to a T, and... But in this movie, I felt like he did a great job. It was a surprise to see him because I forgot it was him. Mm. When he first appeared, like when you got that shot of him walking, I was like, oh, it's John Hurt. But then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's Michael Caine. Yeah, it Sorry. took me a moment to be like, is that Michael Caine or not? I was like, oh, it is. And then you saw his little beady eyes and you're like, oh, yes, it's Michael Caine. Those little eyes. He has these little eyes. I don't know. <laughs> he has these little buggy eyes. I don't know. They're beady. That's what I, I like him though. I like Caine. He seems like a fun dude. Mm. Um... 
but he was a pleasure to see. What did you think about the performances overall in the film? Because this has a, a lot of people coming and going in the film. We're primarily following one guy. Mm. How did you feel about all that? Yeah, with with Clive Owen, I was, uh, I guess I was trying to see like who he was the whole way through, and then in the end, when I thought back on him throughout it, he really was just a kind of every man in a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. Like at the beginning, he he stood out a lot because I mean, literally the first time we see him, everyone is you know crying over news footage, and he's just buying something in the store and leaving, yeah, and leaving, and it almost feels like you know is he in this world is mm-hmm. he's almost like the audience surrogate in a way of like he doesn't have the full context almost um but then we know throughout the movie why he's like that yeah we do um so i felt like he was a really good character for the audience to follow along because his sort of apathy at the beginning kind of mirrors us trying to understand the setting i felt mm. like he played a main character very well yeah, Clive Owen's not a performer that I often associate great work with. I'm not saying he's terrible, but I always think of him as just like, and, and Clive and Clive Owen was there too, like not like oh, and Clive Owen, whoa, he just is a guy that I can't even think of any of the movies of his that I've seen, but I I know I have, but I just think of him as just like oh yeah, and Clive Owen's there too, like just that that older British man, like that middle aged British man who's just kind of there, being a bit gruff. Maybe a little cheeky sometimes, but he never leaves a overwhelming impression enough in my brain. But in this, I found him very, very affable, very engaging. He plays to a T a guy who's disillusioned, but secretly underneath all of that, he still cares. Mm. Um, and that's the key. That's the key. That's what makes these characters great. That's what made Humphrey Bogart great in Casablanca. A guy who's disillusioned about everything, but underneath it all, he's still a good person. Those he still are, cares. Yeah. He's still a person who's willing to do the right thing when no one else is going to. Clive Owen does that in this movie yeah, very when, well. When we find out that like Julianne Moore told, uh, what was her name, Key? Key. Key, that uh, you know, he's the one person you should trust. Like, at first it was kind of like, really? But then as the film went on, it's like, oh, yeah, she was totally right. Yes, yes. He's just a he's a, he's a good man hmm. who's been disillusioned by multiple factors. It's not just that his kid died. You know, his mum, whatever happened with her, and just the general world and the oppressive nature and, and the fact that, you know, look at Julianne Moore. She kept fighting and she's like a renegade terrorist who's blowing buildings up. Hmm. Oh, we don't do that anymore, though. But they, they did do it. Yes. Like... <laughs> And why wouldn't you be disillusioned at that? You know, like at that as well. Like not only did their kid die, but every day you're watching a news thing about like how your former, I guess, wife or partner at least and mother of your child is like blowing up people. Wouldn't you be disillusioned? Wouldn't you be like, oh, Jesus Christ. That's a definition of a dystopia. Yes, this is a dystopian world. And I'm not huge into dystopian world kind of narratives I, I don't mind the mad max movies i didn't mind this this felt a good kind of dystopian when i think of dystopian i think of you know that kind of bullshit like the hunger games and, and yeah pushing it to the extreme dystopia kind of thing but this does do that it does yeah but the, i guess the documentary style thing that he was doing kind of made it feel a bit more yeah genuine. the matter of yeah. fact nature i just yeah. um what else do we want to talk about about the positive aspects of this movie bartek 
oh, I had one, but then we talked about Clive Owen for so long that it kind of slipped my mind. Um, yeah, we talked about visuals. We talked about some performances. But what about the themes? Yeah, themes. I was literally just about to say that. So we have we have hope. Hope is a big one. Uh, this uh, we haven't even mentioned this yet. The big thing of this world is that infertility is an all-time all huge eighteen-year pandemic at this point. Ah, uh, yes. The youngest person has died, and you know, murdered, murdered, and the population can only go down. Um, and the hope that we find in this film is that there is one uh, refugee. What do they call them? Fuji. Again? Fuji. Fuji. Fuji Nine. No, Fuji. Mount Fuji, who um is pregnant. Yes. Uh, but because this world, it's set in a dystopian Britain where they're the only functioning government, but they're a police state. Yeah, they, as, uh, as they would be. As they would be, as they are. I love the propaganda that's on in the background. Like, these all failed, but Britain keeps moving yes. forward, keeps marching on. When I read the trivia and it listed all the like cities, they didn't mention anything in Australia. So we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. We just keep telling so ourselves you, that. So we were saying this world is a world in which hope does not exist, really, because what? why would you hope when the, we're going to die yeah. eventually, right? Mm. It's that condition. That and, there's no children. Yeah, and again, with what we were saying about Clive Owen, he seems kind of apathetic to it. And when he asks his, I think it was his cousin in the big build, the art building, um, you know, what keeps you going? And he just says, I don't think about it. It felt, yeah. it felt like that question of, like, what keeps you going is something we, the audience, would ask these characters. Like, you're living in a world where there is seemingly no hope. How do you keep going? And just one of them says, I don't think about it. And then we see that there are people who are, like, the repenters. We get that, like, the... There, everyone deals with these things or don't deal with these things in horrific of ways. Oh right, yeah, say. yeah. One of his old like girlfriends or something. And we see the other group or whatever protesting in the street, like because they, they it was asked which one are the repentance the one that like, you know, march and protest. And it's like no, no, she was the one that flagellates themselves. Yeah, self-flagellation. Like, ah, right. Yeah, like it's a fucked up world where, and you get people like Michael Caine who are like, ah, fuck it. I'm just going to live out in the woods and get high. <laughs> like <laughs> Strawberry cough, whatever it was. The strawberry cough. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Hope is symbolized in this film by the pregnant refugee lady who, because she's a refugee, uh, w w is not going to be treated kindly by the British if she gets found. And there's also that logic of even if she wasn't that, they would still most likely take the baby anyway and use it for whatever means necessary politically yeah we we don't even get much of an insight into the police state or how they would have done and dealt with it because even uh sid was just going to use it for his own financial gain like he wasn't representative of the corrupt political like the corrupt police state he was by the fact that he was a police like a policeman yeah but he was representative of just the inner greed of of, of man and then you have you know, uh, Julianne Moore's group who are going to use it for their own political means, and Clive Warren is like him and the ner the former nurse, the, the, the midwife, the yeah. midwife are like the only good people. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. are going to take it to the human project, who we don't even know exists really. Yeah, because so Julianne Moore was a hope. mirror. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's another interesting thing. Like we have, it's basically universally agreed in this film that like the child is hope, but like how each faction's going to use that child as, like, a symbol of their hope is... is Weaponize it, basically. Yeah, but uh, jumping back to what you said about how we don't really get a good idea of the, the police state 
people as individuals. Like, a part of the thing that I, again, this is going back to the, the ending that we really liked, like, just when all the soldiers saw the baby and, like, everything yeah. just kind of stopped mattering for a few minutes and just, like, mm. there's a baby. Thank God. Yeah. And, like, some of them were even doing, like, signs of crosses and stuff like that. Did you get it? It was a very, very Jesus moment. Come on, Bartek. Yeah. Like, but but even, even beyond the Jesus moment, it was just, like, taken literally, like, there's hope. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, and uh, that isn't a criticism like about the police that, that all their stuff is going on in the background. They're there, the world, but I didn't get a great sense of what they would have done with the baby if they got it, because like mm. the closest you get is Sid, and Sid's like, I'm gonna use it for my own means. Yeah, they're probably gonna like research it or something. He was just gonna sell it <laughs> or do something crazy. Oh, naughty Sid, naughty. Sid was a fascist pig. He was. Say uh, that again. Uh, fascist pig. Yeah, I think they said it three times in the film, so give well, us one The more. rule of threes. Yeah. The rule of threes, Bartek. I, I, I also really enjoyed this, the, uh, the sequence of events when they, when Clive Warren thought, uh, Clive Warren, Clive Warren, Clive Owen thought that he was like, okay, they're going to take me back to London in the morning. It's all going to be fine. And he's woken up at night and you find out like the information about the dreadlock guy was the guy that killed Julian Moore. And like him being like, all right, we're going to leave now. And then pushing the car down and mm. <laughs> how fucking embarrassing that was. And I love also that the dreadlock guy's weakness was doors. Like anytime, just, just open up the car door. That'll solve him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it only happened twice, I do believe, but they they solved him with that car door enough. And uh, yeah, I think just you know it has a great atmosphere. I like the sci-fi world. I like the concept as well of you know this dystopian world in which we've stopped being able to breed. Um, anything else you want to talk on? A touch upon upon the positives because. I think this is a great movie. Don't get yeah. me wrong. It just doesn't hit for me. There are just some movies, great films or highly regarded films that just don't, don't, don't hit for your hit for you or hit you as an individual. And this is just one of those. But it's like anything else before we kind of move on to the aspects that didn't work. Yeah, I think we got it. Like this is a film that has very impressive aspects to it, mm. but it, there's a whole package that you have to, I mean, watch. It's a film. You watch the whole thing. Yeah, as people who are kind of middling on it, mm-hmm. like we enjoyed some aspects, but whatever, what do you think it is about this film that makes it so highly regarded? Yeah, that's that's the big question. <laughs> and uh... Is it just the filmmaking? I think it could just be the... Imp- it's impressive filmmaking. The one takes, the, the saturation of it, the cinematography for the most part, like I said, is pretty decent. Like... Some shots, I'm like, I, I could have used a little less shake there, but that's just a personal preference. And uh, Yeah, I remember the scene with his cousin at the dinner table. <laughs> Unnecessary shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the one with him and Julianne Moore talking, where he's, like, smoking, and she's like, you still smoke, huh? Was that was that in the same shot where he gets bagged at the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And taken away? That one's a little shaky for my taste, but mm. eh. there was at least an intensity there yeah, it's, so in the scene. Is there a main moral message that we have to take away from this film? Um, or is it just that there is hope? Or maybe there's not hope? Well, there's lots of messages to take away from the film. There's obviously all these religious messages that are throughout the film. I think just at the end of the day, it's about being, you know, doing the right thing. You yeah. know, do, you know, being there, doing the right thing, standing up, you know, not being disillusioned by the oppressive atmosphere of the world around you, which in a time like this is very prevalent mm. as we live in an impressive nightmare world. Yeah, 
We're not we're not infertile, but we're not allowed to touch much. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? You know, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I get out of it, and I think that's that's a very interesting message, and I think the movie conveys that theme very well and those messages very well, and. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what it is that people. I think it is just it's good filmmaking. You know, it's very impressive. That's what people liked about Gravity as well. Mm. When people talk about Gravity being a great film, it's mainly about the filmmaking, not so much the story. At least this one's story and characters and world are far more interesting to me. What about the film didn't work for you? So when I was researching it after the fact, I was reading that the the film wanted you to sort of, I guess, take away from it what you feel. So, like, if you feel mm. that the film ended hopeful, you would interpret that ending in yeah. a hopeful way. And if you feel that it was hopeless, you would take it in a hopeless way. Um, and I, I, also, I see that. Yeah, and I also read messages about how... Or messages, like, things about how... Did Alfonso text you overnight to let you know? <laughs> Alfonso Caron, he texted me... Um, hey, baby, Bartek. XOX. <laughs> Here's a little thematic message yes. I put in. He had to He had to XOXO because you, you're no touchy these days. No touchy. Um, he mentioned that... Uh, fuck, what was it? Uh, <laughs> when, when the credits begin, that's when the story really begins. And I guess the thing that kind of confused me about it, and maybe this is just because I'm a hopeful person, but... When the credits began and you heard the like sounds of children yeah, yeah, yeah. playing and and, we, and we've and established that children are like a message of hope. They have the whole scene where the midwife's like, uh, we live in a world without the voices of children and it's like depressing. Yeah, there you go. I, I kind of think like, can you interpret this in like a hopeless way? Um, with that, I don't think so. I think that that inclusion of that at the credits does give you that. If it wasn't there, I'd say you could because our main character fucking dies and we don't even know what the human project's real MO is. Mm. We're just told they're good and they're pretty much built up like they're a mythical creature yes. that nobody really knows and there's that mysterious hopeful place where things are great, you know? Yeah, and we, just... don't, we don't truly know that in a world in which we're shown things as very matter-of-fact a world in which faith and hope has been crushed under the wheels of reality. Mm. And then throughout the whole thing, it's like, well, we're going to go to that hopeful place. It's always like in zombie movies or stuff where it's like, ah, there's that one place that's free. Yeah, that one and, camp. And, and they've got the cure there and everyone's secure. And then they go there and it's a totality, like it's a, it's a fascistic state or like they're all dead or mm. they never existed and yeah, it was all I'm, false. But this I'm saying that the inclusion sound, yeah, I'm kind of negates that. The me. sound of children playing compromises your, your vision. They should have just played the Spanish fly music instead <laughs> at the end of the credits. Spanish flea? I, I, we'll play it now. <laughs> oh, they should have played the popcorn <laughs> song by... And then it's the snowman. Isn't Spanish fly an aphrodisiac? I hope so. Uh, because this <laughs> film made my dick go down hard. It was very... Okay, so that was a negative for you, that the ending kind of more forcefully implied it was a hopeful ending than the filmmakers and people may mm. want you to believe. At the time, I was fine with the ending, but when I read that like that was the vision, I was like, well, isn't that compromised mm. by what you did in the ending? 
what doesn't work for me about this movie is it's it's as subtle as a brick to the face. Mm. It's very hammering you over the head with a lot of it. A lot of the dialogue. And this film has a lot of dialogue. As I mean, there's lots of silence, but a lot of the dialogue is just telling you this is how the world is, and this is where my character's ideology is, and Hello, I'm Michael Caine, and although I'm out of focus in the background, I'm delivering important exposition about our main character's backstory. In a very jovial tone, I think I remember it being. And it was very, very much that. It was a little too much of beating you over the head like, oh... Sure, it's late at night, and this guy's drove his like he he's riding a loud motorcycle into a quiet area. But sure, we're gonna just shout out all the information about how we're evil traders and that we're doing this, and Which, just ironically hope that no one hears. Ironically, one of the big things that I was reading that was that like Alfonso Caroni is really against like too much exposition. It felt too much to me, or it felt like a lot of it was just very obvious stuff and because like how do you convey stuff without exposition try not to make it seem like exposition i just but i don't know it just felt like that to me i don't know how you felt to me it felt and even from the first time it, i wouldn't call this a subtle movie mm. how do you feel about that no i think i think you're right especially since the example you brought up was jovial tragic backstory explanation for Michael Caine. For Michael Caine. And uh, Michael Caine's a motherfucker. He can deliver exposition like no one can, but he, it's still <laughs> exposition. It's still just telling us. And I don't know. I find it cheesy all the time when you have that moment where a character is overhearing other characters telling a story halfway through and then they get all wounded about it or reflective or whatever. I hate it in Shrek. I hate it in this. <laughs> this isn't a liar revealed moment like Shrek, but I still hate I, I don't know. It always feels cheesy to me. It always feels a little bit like sometimes it can work. I'm not saying it's it's a, a, a you know a hundred percent thing, but it felt cheesy to me. It felt stagey. It, there's just lots of times the dreadlock guy had so many times to kill Clive Owen, and he just never does, and it annoyed me greatly. What was the what was the terrorist reason for killing Julianne Moore again? Because she was going to take it to the human project the baby. right right she was and she was their fate, leader yeah. and she was the mirror but if you kill her then there's no way no one can get it to the human project because no one knows it exists outside of her and then they can take con- and he can take control and then use the baby to you know right do right. his stuff yeah and also because shock you didn't expect her to die did mm. you no, i didn't know the ping pong thing made me completely convinced that she was going to leave. The ping pong thing. And there was lots of stuff like that, too, where that was cute or whatever, but there was a lot of, uh, oh, I trust you with my life. I'm not going to die. I'm here to survive, and we're going to be great. And, like, I'm the midwife, and I'm going to stick by you the whole time. And lots of, okay, we know that fucking Clive Owen's going to be the only one with her by the end. You know, mm. there's no doubt in your mind about that, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Also, I did not like the midwife. I do not like that character. I find her a little bit too... Like that scene where she's explaining the world to someone who's experienced the world before. <laughs> How it all happened, you know, miscarriages started, and then blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Thea, dude, Thea, dude, dude, you're, dude. The, you're the audience surrogate. It was confusing that that late in the game, they were explaining this to us, right? What I thought I already again? understood the world by then, but then... 
she was explaining it when they were when at that like abandoned key, school. Yeah, or and Key was. Uh, yeah, that that's was, way too late. <laughs> it felt like well, I already know this. Yeah, tell us that before. There's a pregnant lady, maybe. R- it was weird, right? Yeah, like maybe I'm an idiot, but like when the reveal of like, I'm definitely an idiot, but um. When, when the reveal of, like, the pregnant lady, for some reason, my mind just, like, completely slipped over the world of in- infertility until he said, like, you're pregnant. I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's the story. Okay. For me, there's also lots of visual things. Like, visually, we get what they're saying. But when you think of it as a technical way, like, in a realistic way, it's goofy as shit. Like, okay, to show that she's pregnant, she's going to take off her top and put her hand over her breasts and stand in a very, like, Renaissance painting kind yeah. of fashion with these sheep beneath her. Because... After, after her breasts are already exposed. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but, you know, and, and she's going to be, like, holding her hand under her belly to show you how big it is, and mm. you've got the sheep there, or the cows, sorry, the cows underneath her, and she's already yeah. talked about how we use their tits or whatever, and here's some joke about, like, tits. And we get it. From a visual standpoint, very, ooh... But I'm just sitting there going, can't she just lift up her top and just show that, you know? And then when she meets Michael Caine... She was literally unbuttoning it from the top. When she meets Michael Caine, he sees her, looks at her, and then she, like, tucks her hand underneath her belly to emphasize (laughs) that she's pregnant. And I'm just like... Oh, I better do my thing. (laughs) That's goofy shit that, like, I can understand the technical reasoning for it. Like, oh, we're showing her visually. Like, she's not just going to say, I'm pregnant, or, like, have Clive Owen expo dump exposition dump on Michael Caine because we already know that but it does She's make you does it, but it, that was goofy right no I, I get completely what you're saying in a yeah. movie that's like earnest and serious and it's like drab and everyone's dying and it's miserable and there's sense of hopelessness you have shit like that I do but then there's good cheesy stuff like Michael Caine's um, zen music that he listens to and it's like <laughs> trap music or whatever the fuck that was mm. and it's also his alarm system <laughs> When they're when they're entering his uh, his base and all that, I love that. Mm. But there was just a little; it just wasn't subtle. I wouldn't, and I think that's a weakness to me because I think there's this. It's it's held up in such a high regard, and when you hold up movies in such a high regard, you're expecting like I'm gonna be expecting like this thoughtful, artistic, especially something like you hear the premise, Children of Men. You hear the premise, you go, oh, okay, okay, mm. and you see what the movie looks like. Yeah, it's what I was holding on to for eight years. And then, and then you get it like it's just in your face, all the time. Like I understood the world, but then they just had to keep keep explaining it and keep explaining, explain his backstory, again. And it's, uh, and that was what took me out. And I think that's what makes me indifferent. Is there's lots of great stuff here, but the, for the, everything that's great, there's just some uh, choices. Not even terrible. There's nothing in here that I would say was truly awful. Like, I wouldn't slam it like we did The Dark Knight Rises, say, where that movie had some really bad technical choices as well as script Mm. choices that make you roll your eyes until you die. But this didn't have that. But there was just enough of those where you just go, okay, that was a little silly, or that was a little too overt that it just makes me even out to, I feel indifferent about the movie. I'll never really want to go out of my way to watch this again. But I see why people praise this movie. I see why people like it. I see... The acclaim that it has, it just doesn't have that for myself. I definitely, yeah, for me, I just want to, I think, one more watch just so I can, like, have all the things I've read about on my mind while watching it. Anything else about the movie? Um, what was the name of that? This isn't about the film. What was the name of the Brad Pitt movie we did forever ago with, like, The War or something? 
War Machine. War Machine. Like, I think... I remember at the end of that film when they had that scene where, like, they were raiding a place and that felt really out of place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, the the one in this film where they had the long shot at the end was, like, a better version of that. It was earned. It was and it earned. made sense. And they had already set up the filmmaking style to earn that, where they already had all these one-take shots. We've already had all these shots and scenes of characters escaping or going into locations throughout yeah. the movie. Unlike in War Machine, where it was, like, a comedy in a base and then it randomly cut to, and now we're going to have the full metal jacket scene yeah, for no reason. Yeah, a siege scene. Yeah, we're going to have a siege scene for no reason, yes. an insurgency scene for no reason, other than, well, I want to show off that I can do it. Yes, when you want to praise a film, make fun of another film. Oh, we've got to talk about the CGI baby in the room. How did you feel that. about that? That's a director, that's a choice to make. How did you feel about it? I couldn't tell if it was a stillbirth until the baby started crying. I accepted it when, you know, they pulled it out. I was like, okay, I understand why, but why is it a CGI baby after that initial scene? Why is it CGI for the rest of the movie? As much as I want to take this movie seriously, the CGI baby pulls me out, man. It's a little cartoon baby in her hand. Well, I, I can't... I could not take it seriously. I wasn't laughing, but I was just no. I was, I was just going, oh, this is a movie. Well, Not in the way that I should. Like, when I see the one-take shots, I'm like, ooh, this is impressive filmmaking. This is a movie. Like, I'm appreciating it. But when I'm sitting there, I'm going, why did they make that choice there you, to make it a CG other than it's easier? Well, see, you have to you have to forgive it. In a similar way to how War Machine had this film as, like, you know, a precedent set, this film didn't have American Sniper as a precedent to set for how to do a baby. Wasn't there one just a doll? Yeah. <laughs> and it was very obvious too because of the lighting <laughs> I've never seen American Sniper I watched it on a flight so I fell asleep halfway through and had to resume but yeah but, that, but this film is about the like this film hinges yeah. on the baby right that film doesn't right like that's just a part of it it's just a part of it yeah but um, this film is like the whole third act second going to third act is about this baby and it's a CG golem creature like I just yeah, it was very dark. Very it's a weird. choice. It's a choice that they made, and it does not land for me. At first, I bought it. I was like, okay, I understand why they're doing a CGI baby, because they're showing it come out of her. Hmm. They're not going to get a newborn. But then I was like, okay, after that, in the you know the scene where you go to the next morning and all of that, and you have it wrapped up, then you can have a real baby. But they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to have a CGI baby. And like you said, you're like, oh, you thought it was a stillbirth. Yeah, that was my first initial problem. Like, oh, shit, um, is this good or bad? Oh, it's crying. Okay, it's good. That that did take me out of the film, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It was a odd choice. Mm. And I think that's it with Children of Men. I don't think I have anything else to say about it. I guess the only problem is it was a children of a woman, child of a woman. Well, in this version of the story, it's the women that are infertile and yeah. the men aren't. So, but in the book, it's the men that are infertile. And oh, that's something I do want to talk about. The book's by P.D. James. Mm. I have a history of P.D. James. Apparently he was in the film. P.D. James? In this mm. film. I read a trivia point that he was apparently like an old woman or something. <laughs> I hope so. In like a, a cafe scene earlier so, on? So P.D. James yeah. is an author that I had to study in high school. Okay. And they wrote a book called The Skull Beneath the Skin. It's mm. a crime book, a mystery book, and it's like the last in the series of this detective 
or this investigator, like their version of, you know, Miss Marple or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the most annoying, boring, and aggravating books I've ever read in my entire life. And since you are studying in high school, it was, this is a great piece of media and you yeah. have to praise it. And I, and I could not, and I would not, and I hate that book so much. Ryan, tell us why the curtains are blue. <sighs> Tell me why Blade Runner is a flawless film with no <laughs> imperfections, and that then that's not a reason why they keep recutting it to make it better because it's imperfect, and that's a part of what makes it good. Ryan, why is Moulin Rouge your favorite? What on earth, man? We did study Chicken Run, so yeah, uh, apples and oranges, really. When Ryan, it comes why to that. why is Chicken Run an awful film? Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bartek, would you recommend this film? I would, yeah. I wouldn't say it's a film that... Well, I mean, other people might say this since it's so, you know, praised. It's a film worth seeing because similar to... Actually, similar to AI last week, there are elements in this film that are really well done and I think it's worth checking out for those elements. I wouldn't say it's as much of a mess as AI or as ambitious as AI, but yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I would recommend it too. It's definitely one of those you got to see it for yourself and make up your own opinion. Because there's a whole strew of classic, iconic, well-praised movies that just, you go, I don't get it. Mm. Like, uh, American Hustle? I don't get it. I don't get why people like that movie. I've oh, seen it, I don't remember. Exactly. It was on a flight, though, again. So. Jennifer Lawrence burns toast or something? That's about all I remember. She's like, oh, my kitchen's on fire. That's all I remember. But, uh, uh, or, yeah, but I would recommend it. It's definitely worth seeing at some point, just because I, and I don't know, maybe I would see it again, but I don't think so. I'm, I'm, oh, you've given it enough chance. Three seems, and done, yeah. baby. Bartek, next episode, it is a recommendation from yourself. Yeah. Have you got something prepared? I do. Have you got something? Is it ready? Is it foreign? Yeah. Okay. And it's from a country we haven't touched yet. From a, within a language we haven't touched yet. Who's ready for a Bosnian film? I guess I am. Are you? Are you? I don't know. You have to tell me the <laughs> film. If you the, gonna, na- the you... name of the film is uh, Gribavica. I don't know. <laughs> Spelt G R B A V I C A. Um, that, does that translate into anything? It's a quarter, like a, not a quarter, as in like a fraction, but like a a, a part of a city. Okay. Yeah, a quarter of Sarajevo, I think it is. Okay. Uh, it's a 2006 film, and it's one that I watched in a university class, like is the it... one university film class that like you didn't I, do. I gotta ask, dude. Is it is it is it easily accessible? Uh so it's on YouTube without subtitles. Um, of course. However, Ryan, is however... it zoomed in and we can't see if they're picking straws? <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, if, if there's a reason why I brought a USB today, uh, so so you, that so I you, could benefit, so you don't have to worry. The listening people can worry all they fucking want. <laughs> Good luck, motherfuckers. Bartek chose a Bosnian movie. I originally picked a Polish film, but I could not find it anywhere online, so I had to switch, and I wow. was really pissed off. Uh, who would have guessed the Polish films are hard, huh? To find. Yeah. Oh, well. So, what's the film called again? Uh, Gribovica. I'm not in, even going to try. Yeah. In in various countries, I think in the US, they call it Gribovica, Land of Our Dreams. And I think in England, they call it Esma's Secret. 
Esma's got a don't secret. Tell <laughs> don't tell anyone from oh, 2006. Yeah. yeah, 2006, just like Children of Men. Ooh, is this film also set in that same universe, <laughs> or is that just Bosnia? Very real life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so listening people, make sure to check out that film. Good luck finding it. Bartek's made it hard for you. Good luck. Uh, you know, find subtitles, download it off YouTube, put them together, bam, bam. See, you've got extra work, huh? Extra work. <laughs> I, you know, I, I give you simple shit, and Bartek's like, All right, guys, you got to do homework. Hey, trust me, even though I have the rule of, like, you know, one week American, the other week foreign... <laughs> The foreign has been kind of tough for me, but so I, I, I power through. So, listening people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. Uh, we are always posting some stuff on there, questions, links to things, further thoughts, all that kind of good, gracious stuff. We also have an email, which you can email us with your suggestions for movies that we can cover on this show. I mean, you could also hit us up on the social medias for that yeah. as well. But we have an email in which you can email that, or your questions, thoughts, concerns, views, threats, um, sexual advances, I don't know, uh, spitandpolished at gmail. Dot com. We are on all the podcatchers. I think we're on the one you you got this episode from right now. Yeah. I was going to say listen to, but they could download it, and then they won't be listening through Spotify. I but think... we are on Spotify, and we're on all those, and you can rate, review us, share us around, boost up a, a cred, a street cred. Mm. We need to show the world that, yeah, they're right about that podcast. Yes. You know? We call ourselves street and polish. <laughs> Because we were born in the streets and we speak Polish, motherfucker. Just like Kevin Smith and John Peters. <laughs> uh, that's about it. Bartek, a pleasure as usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and do you want to leave the listening people on any wise words of wisdom? Dom is Polish for home. <laughs>